Welcome to Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Today we'll talk about the decision by the Archdiocese of Manila to allow limited religious activities, especially during the holiest of occasions in the church's liturgical calendar, despite a two-week ban imposed by the government to help arrest the latest surge in COVID-19 infections. Some have called it defiance, but to others, it's a firm stand against a government policy previously criticized for glaring inconsistencies. Despite the Philippine government's ban on religious gatherings, the Archdiocese of Manila is standing firm on its decision to push through with, with its limited Holy Week activities. In a pastoral instruction released on Tuesday, Bishop Broderick Pabillo said Catholic churches will be open at up to 10% of their capacity. The Interagency Task Force on COVID-19 earlier prohibited mass gatherings in all areas under the so-called NCR Plus bubble from March 22 until April 4, Easter Sunday. Malacanang warns Bishop Pabilio against encouraging the public to disobey IATF rules. That would be contrary po, to the decision of the IATF. So uh, we understand po, that um, this is Holy Week. I hope um, the, the bishop will not encourage uh, non-compliance with this uh, IATF uh, decision. The defiance po ng IATF resolution is not covered by separation of church and state. In the exercise of police powers, we can order the churches closed. But on Radio Veritas, Pabilio argued the rules were made without consultations. He also believes they violate religious freedom. So, dyan mali na sila. At hindi dapat tayo sumunod. Sa ganyang pamamalakad na walang konsultasyon at it uh, somehow separ uh, breaks the separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. Sila na lang separate ngayon. Kaya tuloy tayo sa ating activities. Let's now discuss this issue with Father Jerome Siciliano. He's the Executive Secretary of the Public Affairs Committee of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of the Philippines. He's also the parish priest of the Nuestra Señora del Puerpetuo Socorro Parish in Sampaloc, Manila. Good morning, uh, Father Siciliano, and thank you for joining us on the program. Good morning, Christian, and good morning to all your televiewers. Okay, let's put this uh, issue in context. Uh, is this an unreasonable defiance of a policy by the government or a defiance of an unreasonable policy by this government? It's not actually defiance. We had a meeting last night and the bishop clarified his stand. His stand. And he told us categorically that uh, he's not defying the government authorities. Number one, it was just an expression of a religious right. Kaya nasabi niya yung mga bagay na ganito. Pangalawa, he was operating in the context of the principle of subsidiarity. Well, i-simplify lang natin para sa mga televiewers yung subsidiarity na mayroong mga certain entities ano, in social organizations that can actually make decisions because these decisions they know are going to be good for themselves. Mm. Kaya hindi dito yung aspeto ng parang decentralization at ito yung operasyon na ginagawa ng simbahan. Kaya meron tayong Vatican, for example, or Rome Pero meron din tayong mga dioceses. Meron tayong Vatican Curia, mga congregations doon. Meron din naman tayong mga local conferences of bishops. So yun ang principal subsidiarity na pinatutupad talaga ano, sa simbahan. Okay. Kaya yun ang context ni Bishop Pabilio. Kaya nung nag-argue siya, sinabi niya na walang consultation dito, 
kasi alam niya na sa simbahan yung subsidiarity ay palasak talagang prinsipyo na ginagamit para yung governance o kaya administration ay mas mapabuti. So binibigyan mo ng boses ano, yung ibang entities from within a social organization, including the church. But so yun po ay yung context doon. And then last night, he clarified na hindi yun kumbagay tahasa na pag-define ng gobyerno. Nakikita na kasi dito na it's only week and then people may, may be needing ano, uh, spiritual activities, spiritual sustenance. Kaya yung tao ay welcome sa simbahan pero hindi naman niya ini-encourage sa pumunta kayo ng simbahan. In fact, kung talagang yung need ng tao ay pumunta ng simbahan, si Bishop nang nabigay ng limit. Hindi natin pwede papasukin sa simbahan yung sumobra ng 10% because we also have to be very careful there's a risk of the transmission of coronavirus. That's why we cannot do that. So there was no encouraging of people to go to church. At uh, yun lang ang sinabi niya that the people may be needing the church at this particular juncture. Kaya dapat eh, handa din tayo. But of course, even if the principle of uh, subsidiarity is very clear uh, and implemented or practiced or observed by the Catholic Church, it doesn't necessarily follow that Malacanang in particular would respect or observe that. So in this case, there was a threat that in the, in, uh, in the exercise of its police powers, the government can actually order the shutdown of churches there in the Archdiocese of Manila in case uh, they proceed with this uh, particular pastoral instruction by the bishop. Well, we, we all know that, Christian, ano, that, that the government may not be well well aware of this principle that is operational ano, uh, in the church. Pero ang sinasabi naman natin dito, we are not encouraging people to go there. In fact, it's the bishop himself who told us that uh, we are not anymore going to push through with yung krisa masa dapat ando dun ng lahat ng mga pare. Sabi niya, eh, dahil meron tayong prohibition ngayon, we cannot just do that. It should, it should have been uh, scheduled on Holy Wednesday. So alam natin yung Christmas talagang ando doon lahat sana ng mga pare and we make our uh, renewal of our promises as a past priests. Sabi niya, ipuforgo na muna natin yan. And then some other activities also that call for uh, public uh, uh, presence. Sabi niya, hindi na muna natin gagawin yan. So wala kami mga processions. Wala din dito nung uh, kumbaga bisita iglesia tuwing uh, Holy Thursday. Kasi sabi nga niya, eh, mag-gather dito yung mga tao. So hindi natin pwedeng gawin yan. Because uh, the risk is there, and then we don't want also to get the eye of the of the government. Yes, we respect also the government. Yeah, so basically, the Archdiocese of Manila is still very uh, aware of the uh, restrictions that need to be uh, implemented during this pandemic, especially with the latest surge that we are seeing. But how about that particular blanket um, um, ban coming from the latest IATF policy? No mass gatherings, including religious activities. So there was no qualification. But the, the policy guidance uh, coming from the uh, from Bishop Abilio was that up to 10% of a church's capacity. In the first place, is the policy coming from the IATF uh, unreasonable? Well, on my part, it's 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 quite unreasonable. Kasi kung titignan mo yung policy, magbibigay ka nga ng 10 persons ano, sa baptism, sa wedding, funeral masses, may 10 persons. Di ba parang kapag yung misa na pinag-uusapan natin dito, bakit totally wala? So, doon pa lang, ano ba yung reason? Magtatanong ka na kagad, ano? Eh, you also consider uh, this funeral masses and even wedding, tsaka yung, kumbaga, ay baptism, pwede ding mass gathering yun, ano? Pero nilimitahan mo sa 10. Mm -hmm. Eh, kung halimbawa, limitahan mo din sa 10 yung masa, yung misa. So, di ba consistent sana na pwede? Yun nga lang, 
pwede dun sa baptism, pwede dun sa wedding, pwede dun sa funeral mass, yung 10 persons inside the church, pero yung mass itself, hindi pwede. So, isn't it unreasonable? Parang hindi well thought of yung, yung naging, ano nila, yung naging policy. Kaya yun ang sinasabi ni Bishop Pabilio na sa laki ng salt man lang kami para nagkaroon dito ng mas uh, clarification yung kanilang ginawa. So, may clarity sana. Pero ngayon, kahit sa ginawa nila, para may confusion. So, you allow such a number of persons to be there in some of our particular activities, but in the mass itself, you won't allow them to go inside the church. Mm. And just to be clear, is the Archdiocese of Manila being unreasonable in this particular uh, guidelines? Well, I don't think so, that uh, the Archdiocese of Manila is being unreasonable. As I told you a while ago, the Archdiocese of Manila is oblivious to the needs of the people right now. Eh, kung halimbawa po, merong mga needs yung mga tao, we call them physical needs, meron din mga spiritual needs ang tao. And I guess, uh, these are essential needs also. Ang tao, kinakailangan ngayon na magdasal. In fact, it was the government last year who was calling on us, ano, na sana ay tumulong din ang simbahan sa pagsugpo dito sa kumbaga nangyayaring stress, tapos mga suicide uh, cases, and then uh, masyado nang nadidepress yung mga tao. So we are ready to do that. Ano? So kaya naman, ang isang pamamaraan ng ginagawa ng simbahan dito, abay, dapat bukas yung simbahan namin para yung mga tao can actually communicate with the Lord. And then uh, they can find solace inside the church. Mm-hmm. So yun ang nakikita namin strategy. However, eh, kung ganito naman yung pananaw ng IATF, parang hindi naman consistent. And for the record, you will proceed with a 10% capacity policy, especially during the Holy Week. The Holy Week. No. No, we are not going to do that in a sense that we are going to engage people. Oh, pero up to 10% lang, of the capacity uh, will be allowed. Okay, ganito na lang. Ano? Uh, we are going to celebrate our liturgies because it's the Holy Week. Tapos hindi naman namin in-encourage sa pumasok yung mga tao. However, kapag alimbawa may taong kumatok, ano, alimbawa lang may kumatok, isa, dalawa, tatlo, eh hindi naman namin pwedeng sabihin sa kanila na hindi kayo pwedeng pumasok. There's a possibility na pwede silang i-allow. Anyway, Tatlo lang naman siguro yan, apat. And besides, gagawa kami ng paraan na yung mga misa namin, merong trompa sa labas. So maybe people can stay outside in order for them to attend the mass. So yun ang mga nakikita namin mga strategy para hindi naman kami lumabag uh, dito sa IATF uh, protocols. Mm-hmm. And I think prior to this uh, decision by the Metro Manila mayors, gyms and spas were allowed to operate, no? Correct me if I'm wrong, they were not covered by this uh, restriction coming from the IATF. Is that correct? So that was also yeah. one thing that uh, was found to be inconsistent. Well, that was correct, Christian. Ano? Pero yesterday, I think they rectified that. Mm-hmm. So binago nila yung kanilang policy, kaya hindi na rin allowable yung operation. Ano? Hindi na rin allowed, brother, yung operation ng spas at saka mga gym. Kasi siguro, napag-isip-isip nila na bakit may isasara yung simbahan when in fact, ha, yun nga, kailangan ngayon ay Holy Week talaga, tapos yung spa at yung gym ay pwede mag-operate. Kaya binago din nila yung kanilang policy. And We're course, hoping ano, na i-consider din nila itong Holy Week activities. And of course, also people are allowed still to go to the malls, no? But of course, they are also reminded <laughs> to to observe uh, certain protocols. This is also one thing I think that was mentioned by Bishop Abilio as quite glaring. Correct. Correct. Ano? Kaya sabi nga natin, ano, uh, there should be a rational approach uh, to formulating strategies and then implementing them. However, at the rate things are going, sabi natin, eh, mukha yatang irrational naman yung dating nito. So, ang daming parang loopholes, ano? ang daming parang inconsistencies. Kaya sana nga ay i-rethink nila 
kung kahapon nga ay binago nila yung kanilang stand about gym tsaka yung spa, eh baka naman i-rethink din nila itong ginawa nila sa simbahan. Okay, finally, uh, Father Ceciliano, uh, with the way the IATF, the administration has been crafting, for instance, the policies uh, since last year during the pandemic as to how to implement safety protocols, certain restrictions by the public, somehow, did you also sense uh, an anti-church sentiment, an anti-Roman Catholic Church sentiment here? This is not a new argument, for instance, because we've been seeing this also on social media coming from Catholics, that somehow in crafting certain policies, it seemed like the, the IAT of itself, for instance, or Malacanang, was somehow oblivious of the concerns of the Catholic, Catholic Church. Para bang okay lang masagasaan, uh, while others cannot. What do you think? Well, I'd like to entertain such thoughts, ano? Pero dahil meron tayong pandemya, magulo na masyado bansa natin, ano? Kaya bibigyan na lang natin ng pasang pamahalaan. But I guess I'd like to challenge them also to rethink their stand. Kasi kung halimbawa yung kanilang mga ginagawang policies ay parang eto nga, ano, nadidisregard mo yung simbahan. Well, basically, people will also think about that. Eh, kami nakakatanggap kami ng mga reklamo na bakit naman parang sinisingle out yung simbahan dito. So sana nga ano, ay hindi naman ganun ang kanilang talaga motive. Well, uh, the government is always uh, making policies under the guise of protecting the people. Well, naniniwala kami doon. Ano? Kinakailangan natin protektahan ng taong bayan, huwag tayong mag-take ng risk. So we believe that. However, meron sanang sense of balance. Ano? At yun nga yung pagiging rational sa ganitong mga gawain. Para yung taong bayan na mismo hindi mag-isip na parang sinaside na hindi ito yung simbahan. So I, I, again, I'd like to reiterate, I, I'd like to think that, but then uh, I'm refraining myself from, from insisting on that particular thought para mabigyan na lang natin na ng kaayusan sana yung pamahalaan. Pero makinig naman din sana sa pananaw ng iba. Kasi they do, they do not have the monopoly ano, of goodness. Other institutions also can, 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 can do that and they can contribute. Sana ganun ang gawin ng pamahalaan. Okay, Father Jerome Ceciliano, thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you, Christian. Health facilities across Metro Manila are bearing the brunt of the latest COVID-19 surge. The One Hospital Command Center, the facility that refers COVID-19 cases to specific hospitals, is overwhelmed, receiving around 300 calls for assistance a day. That's a huge jump from just 63 weeks ago. Kung nakikita niyo na overwhelmed ang mga TTMF sa hospitals, pati kami ang coordinating operation center, nakaka-experience din ang increase in capacity. Meanwhile, the medical city in Pasig City has announced it has reached full capacity for COVID-19 patients again. The hospital's chief medical director says all 120 beds reserved for COVID-19 cases are now occupied. The medical city staff members are also being infected or affected by the pandemic. 67 of their health workers tested positive for the coronavirus, while 69 others are currently under quarantine. Let's now check on the situation at the East Avenue Medical Center, a public hospital in Quezon City. We're joined by Dr. Dennis Ordonia. He's the head of the hospital's COVID-19 task force. Good morning, doctor, and thank you for joining us on the program. Good morning, sir. Okay, let's talk about the situation now at the East Avenue Medical Center. How's your bed capacity? Are you getting overwhelmed already, like the other hospitals? Um, just like any other hospitals in uh, Metro Manila right now, we are operating at a critical level. So we are, uh, our bed occupancy rate is around um, uh, 90 percent. 
fully occupied with our ICU beds at uh, 95% occupancy as of the moment. And how are you coping so far? So far, we have been uh, preparing for this since um, we are a dedicated COVID referral center. So we actually have allocated 250 beds. So in terms of the number, um, so far we are able to cope up. But if the surge continues, we have to have um, contingency plans uh, in order to expand and be able to serve these patients who will be coming to our hospital. How soon do you think your bed capacities would be overwhelmed at the rate things are going with the number of patients going to your hospital? Actually, we have reached 100% a couple of days ago, but um, since um, patients have been turning over, becoming well, becoming negative, so um, these are uh, waxing and waning, but the average number is around 90%. Uh, we we will be seeing uh, a possibly 100% capacity or an overflowing capacity within the week if the, uh, the number of cases do, do not go down. And what are the contingent, uh, contingency measures are you are going to implement? I mean, realistically, uh, if yeah. by this week you expect that number to go up and actually overwhelm the capacity of the hospital? Uh, the Department of Health has actually mandated all government hospitals to allocate at least uh, or up to 50% of their bed capacity for COVID-19 patients. So um, we are looking at um, opening up um, temporarily the old uh, emergency room that has undergone renovation to accommodate uh, these uh, additional 50, uh, probably additional 50 patients for uh, COVID-19. So you can provide 50 more beds, tama ba? That's, that's the plan and uh, as per directives of the Department of Health, we should be able to develop another 50 beds. But do you still have enough doctors and uh, other medical staff members to attend to them? Well, uh, to be honest, uh, we have been undermanned um, ever since, even before the COVID-19 pandemic. But um, we have to respond to the to the needs of the public. Even if we are undermanned and overwhelmed, the fact that a patient comes in to our emergency room, uh, we don't have the capacity to turn them down. In fact, one of the problems that we are having now is that um, patients from other hospitals uh, who have been um, rejected or turned down go to our hospital um, after going through four to five other hospitals. So. Um, if this is the case and we turn down that patient, we don't think there is any other hospital that would accept them. So it's really our um, job to provide medical care to these patients, even if we are overwhelmed or underbanked. So basically, as a COVID referral hospital, you're not allowed to turn away any patient. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Even any other patient for that matter. Oh, so even non-COVID patients. So, so so far, how do you how do you get by? How do you cope with this situation? Well, um, if ever we would be opening up additional beds for COVID patients, um, one of the things that may be sacrificed is the number of beds for non-COVID patients. So. Um, we will be shifting from non-COVID to COVID patient to a COVID bed. So um, that's probably one um, downside of uh, expanding the, the, the services for these COVID patients. Mm. And, and so far, how many uh, health frontliners, medical workers are still 
uh, available to attend to this uh, COVID and even non-COVID patients? So far, we have um, adequate number of healthcare workers. Uh, what we have been seeing with uh, our uh, healthcare workers who turn out to be um, COVID positive is that um, they do not necessarily come from the COVID area serving our patients. Uh, they are distributed equally in COVID and non-COVID areas. In fact, uh, a lot of our healthcare workers who, who in, become infected with COVID um, do not have any patient interaction at all. They are um, situated in the administrative offices, on the backline services. So um, the services as of the moment, at least uh, as of now, uh, as per commitment of the different uh, divisions, uh, we can still operate um, adequately. Mm -hmm. As you speak, how many uh, medical frontliners from East Avenue have been infected with COVID-19? Yung mga active cases? Uh, we have around 120 plus active cases. But um, the good thing about this is that um, all, if not most of them, are uh, mild or asymptomatic cases. So we don't have a, a severe or critical uh, healthcare workers as of the moment. Pero lahat siya naka-isolate, no? Yes, Definitely. all are uh, isolation. So, um, we are now uh, in coordination with one hospital command to accept our healthcare workers because we cannot accommodate them or we do not want to um, accommodate them in the hospital, especially if they are mild or asymptomatic because we want to reserve these beds for um, patients who are severe and critical. Yeah, but, but, but my point is uh, you have uh, 120, you have a handicap of 120 health workers, right? To attend to the COVID patients, which is also a problem. Yes, it is a problem. That's why, um, as Dr. Solante has said, this is still community transmission. Um, most of them do not get it initially from the hospital, but they spread it within their co-workers. So the, the only way we can um, prevent further transmission is if we follow the minimum public health standards in and out of the hospital. Once again. Uh, and, and finally, Dr. Ordonia, basically, um, any appeal to the public being a frontliner yourself? Because sometimes, or usually, the message or the appeal coming straight from a, from a health worker from a frontliner is much more effective uh, compared to those that come from, let's say, politicians or government officials. Basically, at this stage in the pandemic, where we're experiencing a new surge. Yes. Um, so far, uh, for the general public, we want to let everyone know that the mode of transmission of COVID-19 has not changed. Uh, it's still being um, spread uh, through um, respiratory droplets and if that's the case, it means that um, the prevention, the preventive measures are still the same. Wearing of face masks and face shields, uh, social distancing, fre frequent washing of hands are still the most effective methods to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So regardless of any national government policy, local government unit policies, uh, we, um, if we follow all minimum public health standards individually, we would be able to prevent further spread of uh, COVID-19. Okay, Dr. Dennis Ordonia, thank you for joining us on the program, sir. Thank you very much and good morning. A team of scientists in the Philippines is on a mission to catch and study a thousand bats to develop a simulation model that they hope will help prevent another pandemic similar to COVID-19. 
For more details on this study, we're joined by bat ecologist Philip Alviola. He heads the uh, team of virus hunters from the University of the Philippines in Los Baños, where he's an associate professor at the Institute of Biological Sciences. Good morning, Professor, and thank you for joining us on the program. Good morning, Sir Christian. Uh, happy to be here. Okay, give us an overview of what this study hopes to achieve and why bats? Right. So essentially what we're trying to do with our research is looking into several places around the Philippines and capture bats and document what are the viruses that are found in these bats. As we all know, uh, bats uh, harbor a lot of uh, in, uh, potentially infectious diseases or viruses. So what we're trying to do is to determine what are the viruses that are found in these bats and uh, try to develop a simulation model on where the next uh, bat-derived virus infections will occur in the Philippines. Okay, and basically, uh, let's talk about the basic information here. Uh, what's with bats that make them um, carriers of certain diseases or viruses? Right. Uh, there's global cons uh, scientific consensus that bats are the, uh, the reservoir of several uh, viruses uh, known to man. Uh, it all has to do with their immune system. Uh, because well, uh, what happens when you uh, when we usually contract a disease or a virus is that our immune system overreacts and there, thereby you have this respiratory tract, uh, respiratory infections, uh, other maladies. But with bats, they have this balanced state of reaction to these uh, kinds of viruses. So what happens is that uh, their immune system doesn't overact, so they uh, their 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 system doesn't really. Um, react to, let's say, for example, heightened temperature or uh, pathogenic uh, manifestations uh, similar uh, or similar other maladies. So basically, that makes them the perfect carriers for certain diseases. Exactly, and exactly. That's, that's why they're the subject of this study. And again, yes, how many sir. bats are you going to uh, in, include in this particular study? Well, we'll try. Uh, in the Philippines, there are about 79 species of bats. Uh, as of now, we've sampled around 15 to 20 species, uh, but we're trying to, to survey uh, or, or capture at least all of them, or at least something like 75% uh, of the, the total number of species. And the number of individuals, we're shooting for about 1,000 individuals, so, so that our model would be very robust, so it could present a much clearer or a truer picture of the potential areas where uh, viral infections will, will occur. And how exactly do you hunt down for these uh, bats? You're talking of 79 right, uh, species, right? Right. So essentially what we're going to do is go to the places where we know there are several or tons of bats. So these can be caves or forests or um, several other localities. And we know some of these places in the Philippines. So what we're going to do is uh, uh, use um, capture equipment, like for example, mist nets, uh, other trap uh, equipment as well, like uh, hard trap. And then we'll capture them, we'll, we'll conduct swabbing. Uh, we'll do oral and rectal swabbing. And then these, uh, these swabs will be analyzed in the laboratory uh, using molecular techniques. Okay, and what kind of uh, precautions are you taking? Because there's also fear that uh, there might be transmission from the bats to the humans, right? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, we've been working with bats for well, more than 20 years now. so. So in essence, we, know, we essentially know what to do and all the safety precautions that we've uh, to, to enforce. So essentially what we're doing is uh, um, taking on uh, PPE uh, suits, uh, just like astronauts. So all, all the body surfaces 
are covered. Uh, so we use face masks, uh, in some cases, goggles, gloves. Uh, and then, of course, after that, uh, we, we sterilize our, clo our, our clothing. And then we check if uh, our health, or if we have fever, or uh, and, and sometimes uh, we do self-quarantine after field work. Mm. Now, by the way, when this uh, when did this initiative start, and uh, how is this getting funded? Uh, is this supported by any other entity, or this is initiated by the uh, UPLB? Uh, we started this work with uh, collaborators from Japan, virologists from Japan, back in two thousand seven. So we've been doing this year in year out. So per year, we're we're doing field work like twice a year. So and then uh, the funds mainly come from Japanese universities, our collaborators. Of course, our salaries are paid by University of Philippines Los Banos. So with the with the with the pandemic going on in the last year, so there was a push uh, to to draft proposals uh, supporting these kinds of research, particularly from the the government. So right now uh, we're looking for funds. We're actually drafting proposals, asking for funds from from DOST, from from DNR. Uh, in the likes. So hopefully, uh, well, the, the funds that have been contributed by the Japanese universities will be supplemented with funds from from the government. And, and how big is your team of virus hunters? And how long will it take for you to complete this study? Right. Uh, our team is not very big. Uh, usually about ten to fifteen persons, and and sometimes uh, we separate our uh, we, we go on separate loca uh, locations. So. Per, per field work, uh, we work like what, seven, uh, seven of us, and our research right now will go on for three years. So this, uh, this developing a simulation model. So, uh, well, it's very sad because there's also still the travel restrictions because of the lockdown. So th our movement will be very, very limited. Uh, hopefully, we can have um, something like a pass uh, because you know this uh, our research is of utmost public health uh, importance so mm. so yeah so it is it's a bit difficult it's challenging but uh in the meantime we're doing work here within Los Banos, in the mm. forest in, in in the campus and basically walk us through how you mm. intend to make that simulation after let's say collecting all those samples from those bats uh, uh and how reliable will that be in terms of predicting right. the next pandemic right Okay, so as much as possible, we want to have as many data as, uh, as possible, you know, capturing several bats uh, in several localities in the Philippines. And then, of course, uh, we will look into what kind of viruses that are found in these bats, and we will determine the potential pathogenicity of these viral strains by comparing it with known viruses that are harmful to, to, to man. Let's say, for example, uh, SARS-CoV-2 or the first uh, SARS in 2002. So we will compare all the, 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 the viral strains that we, we collect and compare that with, with the, the known viruses. And then we will uh, add in uh, various um, environmental data or ecological data. So we will try, we're trying to know is uh, what are the environmental factors or ecological factors that will promote or that will promote viral transmissions to, to humans. Uh, is it affected by the ecological um, condition of the bat? Is it, uh, let's say, for example, is it, uh, reproductively active, or even with um, uh, other disturbances? Let's say, for example, are the bats disturbed? Uh, do they tend to shed virus more when they are disturbed? 
or if the the, the roost or the cave uh, the caves where the bats are in are near um, uh, high population centers, or if the if people are hunting these bats, uh, are they in at risk with uh, in viral transmissions? And of course, uh, we also know that uh, once we <clears throat> determine what are these viruses from bats, and we and we also know where these bats are. We can determine what are the areas in the Philippines that have this high risk of, of uh, viral infection. And if you, when you talk about uh, that, that's quite interesting, eh? ecological factors, right? So you're also talking yes. here of uh, basically educating the public, the people, in terms of dealing with bats and not disturbing mm -hmm. them, for instance, and making sure that the ecology yes. remains uh, balanced. No? But in terms of migration, uh, is, is that also a factor? Uh, well, not bats necessarily. here, uh, not necessarily, bats here, uh, migration of bats. Well, bats here in the Philippines, as in other in Southeast Asia, um, they do not per, uh, perform migration on very, very long distances, like what they do in, in the Americas, uh, traveling thousands of kilometers. So here in the Philippines, uh, they do not travel very, very far distances. So migration, for example, from province or island uh, very far island let's say from Luzon to Mindanao it's it's it, it, it doesn't happen so there is limited uh, localized migration so a few kilometers uh, per se but you know um, migration in the strictest sense that transcends count countries or islands or far, very far islands uh, it doesn't happen in the Philippines so if there's such a thing as a bad to human transmission most likely that would be caused by human beings themselves right Yes, sir. That, that, that is what we're seeing right now. Actually, what they're seeing with other places, uh, let's say, for example, in China and even in Africa. Mm. And basically, this, uh, does this also somehow uh, boost the, the theory or also the fact, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, as to how the, the SARS-CoV-2, the, the, the virus causing COVID-19, the disease, actually spread in Wuhan, China? Yes, uh, that's the prevailing uh, hypothesis right now. It's that uh, the virus that it originally came from bats, it's, well, the, what we know the virus that came from bats, it's totally different from SARS-CoV-2. Uh, it's like 96% similarity, but still different. So what they hypothesized was that uh, it, it probably made the jump from bats to humans and then from the humans there could have been uh, mutations or modifications in the genetic sequence, sequence that made it more virulent or causing pathogenic manifestations. And another hypothesis would be it required a uh, intermediate host. So there's an animal in between the bats and the humans. So, and this has been highlighted because of the rampant uh, wildlife trade, wildlife consumption. So for example, uh, eating or using pangolin scales for medicine, uh, eating um, civets. So that may have caused the, the jump from bats to humans because uh, what happened was there was an intermediary, an uh, animal intermediary. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it was a horseshoe bat, right? Uh, that was yes, uh, identified in, uh, in Wuhan. How mm -hmm. common is that particular uh, type of bat here in the Philippines? Right, uh, uh, uh The horseshoe bat, uh, the genus is rhinolophus. It's found all over Southeast Asia and Asia and some parts of Europe. And we also have that in the Philippines. We actually have around something around 14 to 15 species of rhinolophus here in the Philippines. So, uh, and we also found beta coronaviruses uh, from our previous studies. Uh, so, these beta coronavirus 
are the ones that are uh, where SARS-CoV-2 belongs. The, it's the, the genus or the subgroup of coronaviruses. So we found that actually here in the Philippines in several localities actually in in Los Banos, in Diliman, uh, different parts of Calabarzon. So um, there is a potential or possibility, not very high, I think, not very high, but there is a possibility that there's, um, and we're trying to evaluate the, the potential pathogenicity of these um, of coronaviruses that are found in this rhinolophus, this horseshoe bats. Okay, and finally, uh, Professor, uh, once you've identified uh, which particular viruses are carried by certain species of bats here in the Philippines, uh, what would be the policy advice, for instance? What do you want the government to do, for instance, the local governments in particular, uh, and the general public? How do you make sure. sure that there won't be any transmission? Right. Uh, so, of course, we will definitely report uh, the results of our findings at various scales. So we have the national uh, scale, the regional, and, of course, the, the local scale at the LGU. So essentially what, we're, uh, what we will be plan to do is um, we want to uh, tell them that what are the, the what are the viruses that can be transmitted from these bats based from our results, and then what are the ways to to deter uh, contact between humans and bats. So essentially, and then what we want to also do is we want to show where are these areas, these places within their their, their community where these bats are. So as much as possible, we want to. Zone in. We want to uh, zone in on. Uh, there should be no contact between bats and 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 humans. Okay, mm -hmm. Professor Philip Alviola, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the program. And that's our program for today. I'm Christian Esguera. You can listen to our interviews again on the Matters of Fact podcast, available on Spotify, Google, Apple, and Stitcher. You can also get other exclusive content on ANC's YouTube channel. Thank you for watching.